beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The NIV puts it this way, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, two things I want to point out real quick about this verse. The glass is not a display case. Okay? This glass that he's talking about is a mirror. Right? A looking glass. We don't use that terminology anymore. But he's not talking about something that we can see externally. He's talking about what we see when we look at ourselves. We reflect. When we look at ourselves, what do we see? Do we see failure? Do we see disappointment? Do we see rejection or condemnation? What we should be seeing is the glory of God. We are his workmanship. We are his righteousness, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. When we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we take on his characteristics. We take on his DNA, his status, if you would, with the Father. Jesus became sin so that we might become righteous. When I look at my life, I see the glory of God shining back at me. Am I perfect? Not yet. But I see him because I'm in him. Right? So we're looking in a mirror, not a display case. Seeing the glory of God. Number two, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That means the more I allow Holy Spirit to work in my life, the more like Jesus I become. And the more his glory is revealed in me. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out into completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So God has started a work in us, right? God is doing something in each of our hearts, no matter where we're at, no matter where we come from, no matter where he's got planned for us. He's got a work that he's begun in us. And you know what? He's not going to quit, right? Many of us over the years have started projects Can I get an amen? amen? I don't have to finish that sentence. <laughs> that was it. Many of us have started projects. Amen. Right? For th- <laughs> I've heard, yeah. For those of us do-it-yourself home renovation guys, um, there's hope. <laughs> it doesn't have to wait till the last minute, but... If we take after our Father, we work at it bit by bit, right? Progress, 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 right? We don't all get to move into a brand new completed house that doesn't need any repairs. Some of us have to work on it. Just like our Father, He works on us. When I look at my life and truly examine my condition, 
in light of my position in him, I need to ask myself, does my right doing line up with my right being? Does who I am in Christ translate into who the world sees? Am I allowing Holy Spirit to work in my life? Are there areas in my life that I have not yet surrendered to God? And this question came up in conversation, or as a result of a conversation with a homeowner. I was at a service call recently. He's getting ready to sell his place, and he's just doing all these last little finishing touches, and he goes, I've lived in this house for however many years, and now that I want to sell it, I'm getting all this stuff finished. Like, it was good enough for me, but it's not good enough for somebody else. Right? Do we have that attitude in our own lives sometimes? What am I allowing in my life that's less than excellence? What am I allowing that's not good enough for others, but it's okay for me? What's in my life that doesn't measure up to God's glory or his plan for me? And why have I not dealt with it yet? Father calls his children to a life of holiness, right? We've all read it. Be holy even as your father is holy. Those of us who have been part of his family for a longer time should have already attained a greater level of holiness than a new believer because God's grace has had more time to perfect us, right? I think that's a reasonable expectation. Those who are newer in the faith should be looking to our example of what a life committed to Christ should look like. We should be saying with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? Don't look at me because I'm so great. Because I still make mistakes. I still mess up. God's not finished with me yet. But I'm following Christ. And I'm surrendering. And I'm trying. And I'm allowing him to reveal to me the things in my life that are broken, that are out of line, that are calloused over, the things that he wants to perfect. And so others should look at us and say, wow, that guy's got something I want. He's real, but he tries. He's not fake. He's not phony. Ultimately, we're pointing others to Christ and giving him glory, right? It's not about learning rules and trying not to break them. It's about loving the Father and living to please him. It's about growing in faith, love, and humility. Just like you would expect different behavior from a 20-year-old than you would from a two-year-old. There needs to be a greater level of maturity and holiness from those who have been serving the Lord longer. Right? This, whole, this morning has been all about restoring righteousness. Even in prayer, pastor's praying. He's praying through my notes. And then Pastor Jerry has a word, and it's in my notes. Like... And we haven't spoken. 
So God is restoring righteousness in the church. I want us to look at some of the things that cloud our mirror. Okay, we talked about looking in a mirror and seeing the glory of God reflected. What are the things that cloud our mirror? And why, maybe, we don't clean them up. And I've got a list, and you can add to it if you want. Bitterness, unforgiveness, condemnation over past sins, habits and addictions, laziness, misplaced priorities, offense, stubbornness, gossip, unfulfilled promises, unrepentant hearts, strongholds of oppression and fear, doubt and unbelief. These are things that keep us from experiencing God's fullness. And maybe you know some things that aren't on this list that are keeping you from experiencing God. In some of these cases, we are the victim. Right? Somebody has hurt us. Somebody has given us false information and led us down the wrong path. Somebody has, you know, deceived us or betrayed us or whatever it is. We've been hurt. We're the victim. In some cases, we are the perpetrator. Gossip, unfulfilled promises, stubbornness, addictions, habits, right? Sometimes we are to blame. In either case, the good news is this. We can change it. Right? We don't have to stay in that place. By the grace of God, we can change. And it's not really even that hard. So why don't we? Why do we insist on staying where we are instead of following the path to glory? I want to look at a few things. Number one. Sometimes we don't want to. We like our life. We like the fact that I can rip off a one-liner and cut somebody down in a hurry. Some of us take pride in our witty comebacks and our smart remarks. Sometimes they're appropriate in the right setting with the right people, but sometimes they're truly hurtful. And we need to be aware of what we're doing, right? Sometimes I don't want to get up extra early. I like sleep. I like that snooze button. I don't want to change because it's comfortable where I am. Another word for that is laziness. Isaiah 1 verse 19 says, If you are willing and obedient... You shall eat the good of the land. I will promise you this. You will not see God move in your lives if we don't follow what he says. We want the promise without fulfilling our part of the bargain. We want the blessing without doing the work, without the obedience. We want the manna because then we don't have to do anything. We just go out in the morning, pick up what we need for the day, and go back and laze around in the tent. Till tomorrow morning comes around, we do it all over again. Nothing is expected other than pick up enough manna to eat. That's wilderness living. 
wilderness living is not good enough for promised land people. Who's a promised land person this morning? Right? So no more manna. Hallelujah. Now don't get me wrong, miracles are good, but they're not God's best. I've taught on that before. Wilderness living is not good enough for promised land people. Wilderness-minded people don't want the promised land because it means work. Wilderness living is day-to-day, relying on miracles. In the promised land, you have to get up. You have to work the land. You've got to plant your crops. You've got to tend to those crops. And it's a long, dry summer. But guess what? Harvest time's coming. Right? Did you plant your seeds? Did you tend to your crops? Did you water your ground? Are you expecting a good reward? Who's expecting a good reward? Right? Come on. It takes work. But we get to reap the rewards. Right? How many farmers go out at harvest time now and say, oh, I got to go out on the field again? No. It's like, yes, the harvest is ready. Let's go. Let's go. And they will work before sunup till after sundown and all night long if the conditions are favorable to get that harvest, to get that harvest, to reap the rewards of their labor. And those rewards last until the next harvest season, right? Manna was one day, unless it was the day before the Sabbath, then God gave enough for two. But promised land living, that's abundance. That's provision for the future. That's provision to be generous. That's provision to bless others. That's to provision to brag on how good God is. But it takes work. Number two, another reason we don't like to change. We're too busy. We don't have time for God or the things he wants us to do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There's more than sin that keeps us from experiencing God's fullness. Anything that takes our focus off of Jesus is a weight and a hindrance. Even things that God has blessed us with. Right? We have all these things that God has blessed us with, and I don't have time to say thank you. I don't have time to say, how would you like me to use these things? It doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean that they themselves are sinful. They can be good things. They're just not surrendered to God. They're out of proper sequence in our priorities. And we end up worshiping the gift instead of the giver. Number three. We don't change because we think it doesn't matter. God found me the way I am. Some people I've heard say, I don't have to change. God made me this way. 
Have you read your Bible lately? <laughs> it's glorious to change. It's glorious to be transformed. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be more like Christ? Some people don't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. It's under grace. There's mercy. God will forgive me if I do something wrong. Right? I'll say sorry if somebody gets offended. It doesn't matter what I do. It matters. Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. It matters. Jesus gave his life to purchase, cleanse, and purify us. It does matter. It very much matters. For us to reject and neglect the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a slap in the face to our Father. Like David said last week, he gave more than we could ever imagine giving. He gave all of himself to win us back as an act of love. And all he wants is for us to allow him to perfect us. Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It matters. Number four. We think we are unworthy. I'm not worthy to have God work in my life. I'm not worthy of all these promises. I'm not worthy of the blessing. One of Satan's most effective lies used against the church is that we are not worthy of God. That there's no way we can earn his favor. There's no way we will measure up. He tells us that we're not worthy to be healed or set free or live the abundant life. You know what? He's almost right. He's right until. What he doesn't tell us is that we don't have to be good enough because God looked at us with favor anyways. God counted us worthy. It doesn't matter what sin I've committed in my life. God counted me worthy of his son. God considered us and he bought us completely. He gave us himself completely. He's not holding out on us. When he says that we should be filled with the fullness of God, it's not a religious commandment, it's an invitation. It's not rules and regulations, it's an invitation. It's relationship. 
The door is open for us. Everything we could ever imagine and more is waiting for us in his presence. We've been given son status, daughter status. I'm not a stranger anymore. I'm not the neighbor kid from down the street. I belong in the house. We are heirs. We are joint heirs with Jesus. Think about that for a second. What is Jesus' inheritance? What is the inheritance that is set aside for Jesus? The kingdom of heaven. Everything God is and has belongs to Jesus. Guess what? We get to share that inheritance. Because my Bible said so. My Bible says I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm in Christ. Everything God is and has belongs to me. Hallelujah. That's shouting news, people. And it starts now in this life, right? It's not just in the sweet by and by. When I die, I will fly. <laughs> and all my needs will be met and all my cares will be swept away. That's great. It's true. However, David says, I would have fainted if I hadn't believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living. Hallelujah. God cares about the now. He cares about the here. He doesn't want us perfect in order to get us to heaven. He wants us perfect so that we'll be like him. We're his kids. We want our kids, our natural children, we want them to grow up to have, I'm going to be brave and say this, the same character and integrity that we carry, or better. Not because that'll make them acceptable to the world. It helps, but that's not it. We don't get to heaven because we're perfect. We get to heaven because he's perfect and he said come. In the meantime, he's just getting all the junk from this world and our past life cleaned off of us so that our lives will be a living representation of him in this world. That's why he wants us perfect, so that his glory will shine through us, so that we'll see ourselves in that mirror and say, good morning, Father. Thank you for what you've done in me. And just as a side thought, let's consider that like maybe a two-way mirror where there's other people on the other side. Looking at us through that glass. When we see the glory of God, others should be able to see the glory of God. When we see the image of Christ being developed in us, 
When we can say at the end of the day, wow, my tongue hurts, but I'm so glad I didn't say what I was thinking of saying. <laughs> Thank you, Father, for working in me. I had a, a situation at work the other day. Uh, I was moving a fork on a large forklift. I had to slide it over so it would fit into the load. And I wasn't expecting that it would move as easily as it did because most don't. These guys kept their machine in good order. It was nicely greased, everything. I pulled the pin and I started to slide. And before I knew it, my finger tried to fit into that little tiny space between my fork and the upright support beam. And it hurt a lot. <laughs> and I, I kind of made an expression of, ah, or something like that, right? And the guy looks over at me and says, I wouldn't have been surprised if you would have said something else. <laughs> I thank God that that's not me, yeah. right? Years ago, it probably would have been. I would have been like just one of the other guys, but God's been working on me. I don't have to express myself however I feel like. Some guys at work, they say, it doesn't matter. If you've thought it, you've said it. So just let it out. Dumb, 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 dumb. That's where that thing called self-control comes in. Right? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Thoughts come and thoughts go. Words can't be unspoken. Right? Self-control. It's part of the, hey, wait, that is not a godly thought. I'm not going <laughs> to, you know. Not every thought that comes into your head needs to come out of your mouth. We've seen that on Facebook numerous times, right? It's self-control. But it's changing the heart, right? What's God doing in my life? I'm trying to be nicer to people. I'll admit it, I am one of those guys with the sharp comments sometimes. And if the door opens up, I'm usually the first one through. <laughs> I'm trying to be sensitive to the situation. Sometimes guys don't care. Right? You're working together with the guys and, and you know, somebody opens the comment and you let it fly. Whatever, right? John, yesterday, working together. <laughs> he can take it. And it's not meant as any kind of derogatory thing, but some people can't. Some people don't share that sense of humor. They don't understand sarcasm. Some people are instantly offended by the words we say. We need to be careful. We need to have that self-control. We need to be nice to people. I'm working on that. <laughs> and God is working with me. He's like, Brian, you shouldn't say that. Oh, yeah. John. It rained yesterday, last night, at our place because we were so dry with the dry oh. Yeah, It rained. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you for that, John. <laughs> I, I'm actually very glad. Uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I love John. He's such a great guy. His humor is just like mine. 
except amplified. <laughs> my kids tell me that my jokes are dry. Okay? If we're walking through the Sahara, the desert would turn to powder if John was there. That's how dry his jokes are. But it rained there last night, so hopefully that helps. <laughs> but it's fun for some people, right? But some people, some people have been through so much in their life that all they're trying to do is hang on. And a kind word might just save their life. Or a smart remark will push them over the other way, right? We can't afford to be wasting our words. Enough on that. Where was I? David believed that he would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, and he did. Many of us, however, and this is where we need more help often, we have strongholds built up in our minds that keep bound to, to a poverty and slave mentality. That's good enough. That's all I deserve. Right? Religion will teach us that. That's all I deserve. I shouldn't ask for more. God, just let me into the door of heaven and I'll just be happy with a little cabin in the corner. And Jesus is like, but... I got this mansion ready for you. But I just need a little corner of your kingdom. Just, just let me in the door, God. But all I have is yours. We were listening to a teaching at Men's Cell a couple months ago, and the, the speaker says, he's talking about his children, and they're playing in the house, and they got their capes and they got their crowns and they're being superheroes and one says I'm this and another one says I'm this person and the other one says I'm that person and they're all about six or eight years old and he says give them a few years and religion will tell them that being a loser is spiritual because all of a sudden well I'm not all that great right when we're kids we can do anything Because God put it in us that way. But religion tells us you shouldn't expect such high things. You shouldn't expect that much from God. You shouldn't expect healing. You shouldn't expect freedom from that bondage. You shouldn't expect abundance. You shouldn't expect to be wealthy. Why not? What's wrong with being wealthy? What's wrong is when the money has you, right? Poor people cannot, as much as they want to, support missions. Poor people, as much as they want to, cannot give to their needy neighbors. What's wrong with being wealthy? Nothing's wrong with being wealthy. We should expect it. It's God's promise. He will give us everything we need and more. 
But that mentality, that stronghold, causes us to give up on God's promises. We quit trying to be like Christ. And we stay stuck in the rut of mediocre Christianity. But the good news, good news is this. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's work in us is what matters. Right? All the stuff, all the stuff is nice, but it's going to burn up. Right? It's temporary. God's work in us is eternal. God's work in us is forever. God's work in us actually affects me, not just my surroundings and my circumstances. God's work in us. His grace is sufficient. His grace, His power. Some people call grace unmerited favor. I, I call grace power. Because God chooses to work in me by his power. Right? That doesn't mean I get away with stuff. That means he gives me strength to overcome. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Psalm 139 verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. We are God's righteousness, church. We are created in his image to begin with, but when we get born again, we take on his character, we take on his DNA, we become part of his kingdom, part of his family. We change. We are new creations. <clears throat> First of all, we're created magnificent, wonderful, and because we're created in his image, he found us worthy of himself and made a way for us. So what are the things that are holding me back? What are my unfinished projects? What is my family doing without or suffering through? Like you said before, Pastor Jerry. All because I refuse to allow Holy Spirit to fix it. Because I don't want to. I like it this way. Or I'm too busy. Or I don't think I deserve it. Church, God said we deserve it. And let's face it, we all need fixing. Right? One way or another, we all need some kind of fixing. That's why Jesus came. Acts 17, verse 30 says, At one time, God overlooked these things, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. So if we're choosing to ignore God's promptings, repent. If we're too busy for God, repent. Change. That's what repent means. Just change. Change your mind, go the other way. If we think it doesn't matter, repent. If we think we're unworthy, that too needs repentance. We need to change our thoughts. We need to think of ourselves the way God thinks of us. Right? And go for prayer. Come for prayer. If you're feeling unworthy, 
this morning? Come see somebody after. It doesn't matter who. We can all pray for each other. But talk to somebody. Say, look, I'm struggling. I don't feel worthy. And be open and honest. And let's pray together. Let's build each other up. And let's overcome these obstacles. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. There is no condemnation here, only grace. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you're struggling, if you're a new believer just starting out in your walk of faith, or maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, take this opportunity today. Surrender to Christ. Let His love embrace you. Let His grace empower you. Allow His Holy Spirit to fill you. And watch His Word transform your life into something you never thought possible. And let's see the glory of God.